Our reading today comes from Mark 11, verses 1 through 25. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask now that as we have a few minutes to reflect upon it, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, and that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen. On Friday, Robin and I went and saw Jordan Peele's latest thriller, Us, and I haven't slept since. So if I don't make sense, that's why. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you about us. Uh, I'm not that kind of preacher. I wouldn't ruin a good story for you. But I w what I will say is that Jordan Peele is the bard of our day. Uh, Jordan Peele has a way of telling a complex and terrifying story in order to cause us to reflect on our own lives and in order for us to take action. Mark is the Jordan Peele of gospel writers. We are in the gospel of Mark, and we've just read a passage in Mark that chronologically doesn't make sense for where we are in the season. We should be reading this passage and uh, preaching on this passage a few weeks from now on Palm Sunday. But theologically, this passage makes perfect sense for where we are. You see, what Mark has done for us is take us to the turning point in his story, where from this point on, the story is going to unfold in a certain way. Mark tells us in verse 1, now when they drew to Jerusalem, this is a point of no return, no turning back. From this point on, Jesus and his story is going to unfold in Jerusalem. Why did Jesus go to Jerusalem? What did he seek to accomplish there? We've read this strange story of Jesus entering into the temple and saying, it's late. They go to sleep. He sees a fig tree. He curses a fig tree. And then he goes back into the temple and does some strange things in the temple. Why? Well, today we want to look at this strange story, the way that Mark portrays this story for us, and look at three things together. We want to look at Jesus' return to the temple. We want to look at the crowd's response. And then finally, Jesus' action. First, let's look at a few things about Jesus' return to Jerusalem and his return to the temple. Our text tells us that it's Passover time. And one of the things about Passover time, that it's the time of the year in Israel when travelers from all over the known world would come and gather in Jerusalem. <clears throat> they would come to celebrate. They would come to remember and to recount the story of the Exodus. It's a time to both look back on what God had done for them and to look forward uh, in anticipation of what God would do for them. So this is a great time of excitement for the people of God. And every year as the people of God would gather, they would ask questions like this. Is this the year? Is this the time? Is this when God will free us from bondage forever? Is this when God will raise up a new king to deliver us? Is this when we will finally and fully be the people that God intends us to be? Is this when we'll experience God's powerful, liberating love? Most Jews living in the first century believed that they were under exile. And what exile meant is that they were still under bondage that they were still under the dominion of a foreign ruler, of a foreign king, of a foreign empire. They weren't in Egypt any longer. 
Ironically and tragically, they were in their own land. They were in the land of Canaan, yet they were living in exile in Canaan. They were waiting for God's promises to be fully and finally fulfilled. Imagine celebrating our Independence Day, celebrating the 4th of July while being slaves to another country, while having another people uh, come and be rulers and governors and authorities over us. What would it be like to celebrate the 4th of July while being slaves in this country? If that were the case for us, we'd hope that there might be some brave new leaders that might be raised up to bring freedom again. If you understand that, you get a picture of what's happening to Jesus in this Passover day. Enter Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with this motley crew of disciples, and expectations are high. People all over the known world have heard about him. Some have seen his miracles. Some know about his power, and they believe that God is with him in some way, and their hope is that God's power would be manifest through them by freeing them from the Romans. We see this in our text where they say, Hosanna, blessed are you, De uh, uh, Jesus. Maybe you're going to be a king like David. The entire nation is full of hope and expectation. And Jesus plays up to this anticipation. He sends some of his disciples ahead to fetch a colt, to fetch a young horse for him to ride into Jerusalem upon this is how kings would enter into a city. Caesar, the Roman lord, the Roman emperor, he would have done it this way as well, although his horse would have been a little bit finer and he would have had a much bigger parade. Jesus doesn't have the resources of Caesar, so a young colt will do for him. But by mounting himself upon this colt, Jesus takes upon himself the role of a conquering king. His ride communicates to the Jews that he has come to deliver his people. He has come to free his people. He's announcing that a new king is here. He's announcing the end of exile. He's announcing freedom for the people of God. He's announcing the kingdom of God and saying it's time to turn from all other allegiances and surrender yourself to me. This is the story that Jesus is enacting as he takes that colt ride into Jerusalem. He comes from the wilderness and the desert up the steep slopes into Jerusalem, into the city of David with high expectations that he's going to be a king just like David. And this is precisely how the people interpret his ride. Let's begin to look at their response a few people recognize him, they see him, they maybe begin to think about Passover, they maybe begin to think about their need to be freed, they maybe begin to think about how this might be the time that God is going to deliver his people once and for all. And so a few in the crowd begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, and it picks up steam more and more join into this chorus Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming king of David. The momentum builds and soon many are caught up in this Passover spirit 
and the streets are filled with people praising Jesus. They give him a king's welcome, realizing that he might be the type of king they're looking for. Well, friends, one thing you have to understand is that this scene, this scenario, wasn't novel within the life of Israel. Their treatment of Jesus wasn't entirely new. In fact, just a few hundred years before this event, the nation of Israel had done something very similar for Judas Maccabeus, who had freed the Jews from the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes. After his victory, they waved palm branches for him and sang him songs of praise. A few hundred years before, they thought maybe Judas would be the one to liberate them. Maybe Judas would be the one to free them. And now their hopes and their expectations are pinned upon Jesus. So they welcome this king. They welcome him at least on the surface. On the surface, everything seems just fine. But here's the problem. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're singing. They've made Jesus into a king after their own image. They want him to be a king that will overthrow the Romans. They want him to be a king who will sit on David's throne. They want him to be a king who will give them peace and make their lives comfortable and secure. That's the type of king that they were shouting for. And that's not the type of king Jesus is. And so just a few days later, when they realize that Jesus isn't going to be the king that they want him to be, they change their song. They change their shouts from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him, crucify him. They respond positively to Jesus when they think that he'll do exactly what they want him to do. But as soon as they discover that Jesus is a different type of king, they're through with him. And do you know what? We're no different. Mark wants us to read this story and to see ourselves in the crowd, to see how we try to make Jesus into our own likeness, to see how we come to Jesus in order for peace or for security or for power or for wealth, or for whatever we're looking for in life to fill our needs. We don't really understand who Jesus is. I have a friend that we've had conversations together with over the years about Christianity. He's not a Christian, and oftentimes he'll say something to me like this. You know, Josh, I really want to believe the Bible. I really do want to follow Jesus I have some doubts, I'm, I'm, have, I'm having some struggles, but I, I really do want to be a follower of Jesus. But here's the biggest problem that I have with Jesus. I've been trying to fit him into my kingdom, my desires, my longings, my dreams. I've been trying to make him do what I want him to do. And when those things contradict and Jesus tells me that I can't do certain things in my life, I always choose what I want to do rather than what Jesus tells me to do. And so I'm scared to follow him, and I don't want to follow him. It's too hard to follow him because I don't want to give up the things that he tells me to give up, and I don't want to do the things that he tells me to do. And what I love about my friend is his brutal honesty. You see, if Christianity were just about trying to keep some rules and 
do good over here and not do bad things over here, then it'd be really simple and easy in many ways to submit to Jesus. But Christianity isn't like that at all. Christianity is about submitting to Jesus as our king who has authority over every aspect of our lives. And that's the hardest thing in the world to submit to. To one degree or another, we all refuse to submit to Jesus as king. We all try to make Jesus into our own image. We all try to twist him to fit our own mold. The Jews in Jesus' day did it about him in particular ways. Hosanna, blessed are you, blessed are you, Jesus, the coming son of David. We really want you to free us from the Romans. We really want you to give us our independence. We really want you to give us political power. How about you? How is your praise twisted? Some of us may praise Jesus like this. Hosanna. Blessed are you, Jesus, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Don't stop giving me comfort and ease and prosperity. Or Hosanna, blessed are you, Jesus, the God of order. Don't mess with my life. I like things just how they are. Don't bring any chaos or hardship or suffering or trial my way. Or some of us may praise, Hosanna, blessed are you, Jesus, the great physician, which really means don't let sickness and death come my way or to my friends and family. Keep me away from pain and misery. All of us twist Jesus to try to make him a king into our own image. And friends, this is a major problem we have in understanding Christianity. Christianity isn't come to Jesus and he's going to solve all your problems He'll give you whatever you want. All you need is faith in him. That's not the Christian message at all. Christianity is put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus, and life may remain really hard for you. Life may remain really difficult for you. You may have to uh, overturn everything. But in putting your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus, you're following a king who knows you and loves you you're following a king who has given himself for you. You're following a king who is faithful and true in your life, even when there are difficult and hard things that you must endure. And so our response of praise needs to be reflected upon. So we see Jesus return to Jerusalem. We see the crowd's response. And third and finally, let's look at the type of king that Jesus really is. Let's look at his action. And this is where Mark, as this beautiful storyteller, gives us some strange events that we have to look at. The people praise Jesus. They say, blessed are you, Jesus. And Jesus goes to the place that is most honored, most exalted in their culture, and he condemns and curses it. First, he curses a fig tree. And then he goes back into the temple and curses the temple. And his actions with the fig tree and his actions in the temple uh, is what is called a Markin sandwich. Jesus goes into the temple. Jesus curses the fig tree. Jesus goes into the temple and curses the temple. And so we have this sandwich. Jesus going into the temple, Jesus going into the temple, and in the middle, Jesus cursing the fig tree. 
What happened to the fig tree? It withered. It died. And we have this strange uh, commentary on the fig tree that it wasn't even time for fruit. It wasn't supposed to bear fruit at this time of year. What is happening? Jesus is showing us dramatically, symbolically, that the temple is about to wither. The temple is about to die. The temple is no longer going to bear fruit. Now, many people look at this passage and say that what Jesus is condemning here is a mixture of power and money and politics and religion. And he's probably doing that in some way. We aren't supposed to use religion for political or financial gain, but that's not exactly what's happening here. People would buy and sell animals for sacrifices in the temple all the time. And that was actually a good thing. And that was especially a good thing for a great uh, Passover celebration because people would be coming from far and they couldn't bring their sacrifice with them on the journey. So they would come to Jerusalem and they'd buy a sacrifice in the temple. And so it was a good thing that there was things to be bought and sold in the temple. This was a necessary thing. Jesus doesn't condemn the money changers per se. Jesus condemns the entire temple system. The whole thing is corrupt. The whole thing needs to die. The whole thing is no longer bearing any fruit. Jesus, in coming into the temple, is saying there's no longer a need for animal sacrifices. There's no longer a need for daily sacrifices. I am changing the game. I'm changing the rules. I am changing how things are going to be played around here. And so Jesus condemns the thing that the Jews esteemed the most, saying that it's no longer needed. It's no longer necessary because I am the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices. I'm the fulfillment of all the priests working here. I'm the fulfillment of everything that this temple represents. I am the new temple. Psalm 118 helps us to understand Jesus' actions in going into the temple and cursing it. And this psalm contains the praise that the people give to Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Psalm 118, verse 26 says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of Zion. This familiar song, this familiar praise. And then verse 27 in Psalm 118 says this, Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And what this psalm is doing for us is it's tying together the return of the king to his people with the death of the king. Jesus goes into the temple as a fulfillment of this psalm. He wants us to understand that the money changers that the buying and selling of animals are no longer needed because he is the sacrifice. He is the one who will be bound upon the altar of God. He is the one who will be placed upon the altar. He is the full and complete and final sacrifice. He's replacing the entire temple system. And once again, friends, in Mark, we see that Jesus' kingship is defined by his death. His lordship, his kingdom will come through his sacrifice. 
That's the type of king that he is, a king who gives himself to his people. And through his death, Jesus destroys the entire temple system. But Jesus does something more than just destroy the system. He also rebuilds something new. Because throughout the entire New Testament, the writers in the Gospels, the writers in the Epistles all teach us that the people of God are now the new temple of God. We're the place where God dwells. We're the place where God's presence is known. And so we must see ourselves as the new temple of God. And we must seek to embody the new temple of God, the temple of Christ's grace, Christ's love, Christ's sacrifice for us. We must seek to promote this new kingdom order, not living out old systems and old ways, but rather living in light of Jesus and his great love for us. We're to be people who experience his freedom, his liberty, his grace, his love, and we're to embody that together as his new temple. Here are just a few ways, really briefly, how we might be able to do that together as a community. One, be a community of welcome. The temple was intended to be a place where people were welcomed. But in the old system, they often kept the right people out and said, you're not welcome here. We don't want you here. We don't want your filth and your dort and your disorder here. And so the leaders and the people who ran the temple, they made sure that what they thought were the uh, wrong people stayed out. But life in Jesus is not that way. Life in Jesus says that all are welcome in his name, that all have access to him, that all can come to him who come to him by faith, and that he receives us. And when we understand that, when we receive his life, then we become people of welcome as well. Secondly, we need to become a community of forgiveness. The temple was a place where you were supposed to receive and experience God's forgiveness. But many had forgotten that. And we today need to constantly receive and experience God's renewing grace, God's forgiveness. We as the people of God, we as the church of God, this is to be the place in our community where we say to ourselves and to others, come receive the grace and forgiveness and mercy of Christ. And then third, to be a community of peace. A community of peace. The temple was the place where man was supposed to experience peace with God and peace with one another. And they had forgotten that. They had distorted that. They had abandoned that in many ways. And we as the church community, we as the new temple of God, we as the new people of God, we are called to be a community of peace. This is a place where we come and gather in the peace of Christ in order to receive it ourselves and then share it with one another. And I love how these things are constantly embedded in our liturgy, in our worship, week after week after week. Every week we begin with welcome. God welcomes us here, no matter who you are, no matter your past, no matter your story, you are welcome here. And every week in our liturgy, we embody the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. We receive his gifts for us in this way. And then we also embody the peace of God. So friends, we are called to be the new temple people, the new community of Christ's followers 
Jesus built a new temple. And Jesus is constantly and continually sending his spirit to us so that we might be that new temple people. That we might be sent out into the world and we would undo all the things that are broken and distorted and fractured in our world and fractured in us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and your grace. And we ask that you would continually do a work of grace in our lives, that you would continually shake us up to help us to see our own lives and our own stories and our culture's stories in light of your gospel. Thank you for Mark and for all the ways that he uh, shakes us up and calls us to repentance and calls us to faith and calls us to action. And Lord, we pray that we would be the new temple people that embody your life and your love wherever we go. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.